for Thursday, July 8th, 2021. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE, answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, employers can ask whether their employees have been vaccinated against COVID-19. Asking for proof that an employee is vaccinated is absolutely something that the federal government and the federal agencies have said is okay. Johnny C. Taylor Jr., CEO of the Society for Human Resource Management, joins me to discuss vaccine requirements and some of the other ways the pandemic has changed the workplace. That's next. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. From WABE Studios, the podcast where they read stories is a new children's storytelling podcast featuring notable Atlantans and performers reading classic and contemporary children's books. Each episode contains a story meant to entertain, inspire, and inform young listeners. No screens required. The podcast where they read stories features adaptations from both chapter books and picture books. Join us at WABE.org slash stories podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. WABE. Not only can employers mandate COVID-19 vaccination, more employees want them to. That's according to research from the Society for Human Resource Management, or SHRM. Johnny C. Taylor Jr. is CEO of the trade group. He's with me now to discuss the state of vaccine requirements in the workplace and some of the other ways work has been reshaped by the pandemic. Johnny, thanks for talking with me. Glad to be here. From where y'all sit at SHRM, kind of lay out the landscape for me of what we've really been seeing as of late when it comes to the kind of big HR issues um, that are bubbling up in companies all over the country. People getting back to work, people dealing with vaccinations. What are kind of the biggest issues that, that you've been hearing from your members at this point? Well, so, you know, it's been an interesting 18 months. We've seen, uh, like no other time in recent history, frankly, the workplace be re-envisioned. We were already, from an HR perspective and from an employee perspective, beginning to see and, and challenge some of the conventional notions of traditional work, you know, where you work, how you work, flexibility, et cetera. But all of that was accelerated. Uh, 18 months ago, because the pandemic taught us that a lot of what we thought couldn't be done remotely could be. And it just forced a broader conversation about work, workers, and the workplace. So a couple of things have really stood out as of late. Do you mandate vaccines or not? 
And thematically, most employers, in fact, only 11% of employers are mandating vaccination. The overwhelming majority, almost 90%, are strongly encouraging it. And what that means is some of them are offering incentives. Others are saying, basically, if you can't or won't become vaccinated, then you can't come into the workplace. And so that's one of the things the big debate right now is as the Delta variant comes about, people are concerned about allowing people into the workplace. And actually, employees are now concerned. In fact, Sherm Research found that 63% of employees are saying, I'm okay with my employer mandating vaccination. And that's a huge increase from, you know, six months ago. You know, you bring up this research from Sherm that says more and more workers are now interested, more and more employees are now interested in potential vaccine mandates at work. What is kind of the lay of the land when it comes to employers actually putting requirements like that on the books? I mean, what's the legal landscape? Is that something employers can mandate? Well, there's no question. About a third of employed Americans say their organization is requiring or planning to require them to get the COVID-19 vaccine. So two-thirds aren't yet at that point requiring or thinking about or have announced requiring. And the other one-third, roughly 30%, have said, yeah, that's coming down the pike. That's the landscape, but that number is significant. And I pointed out that 63% of employees now are saying they would support their employer requiring, like as a term and condition of employment, vaccination. So landscape-wise, more employers are doing it and more employees are saying, I actually want that. Are there precedents with other kinds of, say, health requirements for a job that would, say, give an employer some kind of understanding that they could actually legally mandate vaccination? Well, not only are there precedents, so for decades, healthcare workers, childcare workers, elder care facilities have required that their healthcare employees that they be vaccinated for the flu. We've often heard a requirement that, you know, healthcare workers have tetanus vaccinations, for example. So this isn't really new. Now, the mRNA approach to vaccination is different, and we were under the emergency use authorization, and therefore that was unique. But we have a history in our country of mandating, allowing employers to mandate vaccines in the name of safety, right, for the good of the community and particularly of the consumer or client. So a lot of history. But let me bring you more recently. The EEOC was asked to specifically opine on this issue. The EEOC, just for listeners who who don't know, is, is what? Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC, the federal agency uh, that is responsible for enforcing the employment laws in our country, the fair employment laws. And so the EEOC was asked, can an employer literally mandate vaccination? And they came back of the COVID vaccination. So let me be clear. And they answered in the affirmative. Yes, employers can do so without running afoul of the employment laws with two exceptions. One is you've got to determine whether or not a reasonable accommodation must be made for people who who have a sincerely held religious belief that would prevent them from being vaccinated or individuals who under the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, actually have a condition that could put their lives in, in danger of death if they in fact took 
uh, the vaccine. Other than that, the EEOC has said absolutely employers can mandate vaccinations. I'm wondering, too, you know, if that's something the EEOC has weighed in on. How about employers' ability to say, uh, ascertain, ask, uh, ask for proof of whether or not someone has been vaccinated. I would think that that's something that an employee would think, oh, that's that's my private health information. An employer doesn't necessarily have the ability to ask that of me. Would that employee be mistaken? Oh, very mistaken. So that employee, the EEOC, has come down pretty clear and said that, yes, an employer can uh, request whether or not you were vaccinated and the person or the organization from which you got it, because there needs to be some level of verification. So employers are allowed to ask that. In fact, some employers have gone a step further and asked employees who are vaccinated to upload their vaccination card to prove it. So it's not a pure honor system. And the EEOC has said that it's absolutely okay. Again, with the caveat that employers cannot use that information for other purposes. In other words, to take, there's some risk if an employer were to get that information and try to make employment decisions or promotional decisions to the detriment of an employee based upon that information that they receive. So with the exception of that, asking for proof that an employee is vaccinated is absolutely something that the federal government and the federal agencies have said is okay. I certainly have been interested to see how this has really played out in practical situations. I'm thinking of, of a situation that's come up recently in Texas where a hospital system there, um, as I understand it, has uh, let a number of employees go for not getting vaccinated. So talk to me about that, the, the way the guidance that's out there for employers, how they can proceed if, if employees do decide to uh, not get vaccinated if, if an employer is, is requiring it. So all employers who are watching very closely the University of Houston healthcare medical system case where out of their 25,000 or so employees, about 117 or so employees said, I'm not going to be vaccinated. And we're not talking about people who said, I won't be vaccinated for religious reasons or for pre-existing health condition reasons. They just said, I don't think you can require me to do it. And so we sat back and watched as this made its way through the court. A federal court issued an opinion about two weeks ago and said, absolutely, the employer can do it. And it was a collective sigh of relief from employers because while the EEOC had given us guidance, courts interpret the law. And this court said unequivocally, an employer has the right to mandate if they want and make a determined condition of employment vaccination. So we are now more and more employers. Again, this is what has taken what was at one point low single digits. So one or 2% of employers six months ago said we're going to mandate. That number is now up to 11%. And we're guessing that number is going to continue to rise because employees are asking for it. And the courts have now given employers some confidence that they won't be penalized for mandating vaccinations. I'm thinking about the transition back into the office. I certainly know that my workplace, you know, has picked a date later in the year where they plan to have people back into our physical workspace, but it's still not clear if that's going to be mandated, what that's going to look like. So what are some of the big challenges for employers trying to navigate that? How to bring employees who have maybe been remote for the last year and a half, actually bring them physically back into the office? So it's a couple of things. What we have, our research tells us that 85% of U.S. workers working in person now 
feel comfortable regarding their health and safety. And that is at the crux of it. We needed to get to the point where the employee population, the overwhelming majority of the workers felt comfortable and felt reasonably safe in the workplace. And so we've gotten there. And that's what is the big aha, is employees now have come in, they've tested it. There are a lot of other employees doing it. People are not seeing spread at an office. They're not taking this back to their families. And so they've gotten really comfortable with the idea that the workplace is safe. That being said, there still exists a significant number of employees who feel uncomfortable coming back into the workplace and they have legitimate concerns and anxiety. And so employers are doing their best to bring those employees along. One, really convincing them that we have the right safety protocols and procedures, that we still are practicing distancing, and that for people who haven't been vaccinated, they're required to wear masks. So these are the sorts of things that employers are doing to give the sphere of safety to employees who are contemplating coming back into the workplace. But you're right, more and more employers are saying, I need you to come back to work. Interesting stat, our research found that 92% of businesses are currently at least partially in person. So, I mean, we literally, our findings are that only 8% of businesses are fully remote now. And that means the overwhelming majority of employers are coming back. And to your point, some have decided in July, most in September after the Labor Day holidays, people are expecting their employees to come back. Now, they may not come back for five days a week, uh, eight hours a day. It could be four, one, three, two, meaning days in the office versus days remote. So flexibility has become a hallmark of this transition, this reset. But the idea that people are going to just work remotely because they want to, and that's going to be the way of the future, is just the data is not proving that out. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? I'm Sam Whitehead, talking today with Johnny C. Taylor Jr. He's CEO of the Society for Human Resource Management. We're discussing some of the ways the pandemic has reshaped the way we work. I'm wondering, Johnny, about people who might ask for accommodations. You know, my understanding is that it's not uncommon. Um, even It wasn't uncommon even in the kind of pre-pandemic world for certain employees to be able to request for health reasons, um, accommodations to work remotely, to have non-traditional kind of work schedules. How is that playing out here? And, and how could that play out here for someone who's maybe not comfortable returning to an office if, if an office is asking employees to come back in? So I'm going to separate out. There are the people who say I'm uncomfortable for health reasons or for religious reasons, and they're seeking a true accommodation under the law. So let's call that that. Then there are people who are generally non-legally asking for accommodations. Johnny, I'm not comfortable coming back to work now, and so would you allow me to continue to work remotely? That will be on a case-by-case basis, but employers always maintain the right to say no. And the employer, having that right, understands that that is subject to that person leaving. They're really talented and you want them. You're taking a risk. But what we're saying is that employees don't have a right to demand it. And more and more, as more people go into the workplace, and I cannot underscore this point enough, 63% of your colleagues now are saying they want employees to get vaccinated as the term and condition of employment. So they're saying, you know, get it and come back to work. 
What is interesting to me, Johnny, is I feel like you've just maybe set up two different standards. You know, when I asked about the return to work, you said, well, you know, employers really seem to be listening to employees about their comfort level. But then it seems like it is still the employer um, who really has the right to say, uh, yes, we need you to come back in into work. So who is really steering these conversations um, as far as y'all have been able to tell? Is it, you know, employers trying to be sensitive to their employees' concerns or, you know, employers have concerns of their own playing out? Because it seems like it's maybe a, a delicate balance. That's precisely the point is that employers really are listening to their employees in this very tight labor market, right? You cannot not listen to your employees to get their perspective. And again, the good news is 92% of businesses are currently at least partially back in person. But for that minority of employees who are resisting and saying, listen, I don't want to come into the workplace, companies are now trying to figure out how important, let me be blunt, are those people? It could be that Johnny decides he wants to work in a place where he can work remotely. And it could be that Johnny's employer says, good luck finding that employer. And there are plenty of them out there. By the way, this isn't intended to be glib or pithy. It's like, seriously, you know what you, what type of work you want to do and you should, and in the conditions under which you want to work and you should find that employer. So we're seeing this interesting mix of employers coming out and being very clear. Financial services was sort of the leader in this. We're seeing Delta Airlines, United Airlines all saying like, yeah, if you want to work here, you've you got to be vaccinated. And here's the catch. You can't be a remote flight attendant, right? You just can't do it. You know, This job requires that you come back here and we're going to require, because we are all about safety, that you be fully vaccinated as a new employee. Full stop. Talk to me then about what we're starting to see remote work uh, shape up like. The pandemic occurs and we're forced to have remote work. Obviously, everyone figured out how to make it happen. When you close the country down and indeed the globe down, there you can't stop doing business, so you do it. The question will be, were people productive during the first phase of the pandemic? Because it wasn't just that you were working remotely. It was that the entire country was shut down. There was nowhere to go. So it wasn't as if you were working remotely when the country was open and you could be distracted, you could be doing other things. Those first four or five months, remember March of 2020 going forward, there was nothing to do but work. You were stuck in your house and everything was shut down. What we've got to study now from a productivity standpoint, from a morale standpoint, from a culture standpoint, is how does remote work work when you have choices. You're not stuck at home uh, doing work. And so are you as productive? Are you as an organization able to maintain your culture with some people being in person and some people not? So this is a big experiment and employers are all watching to see how this works. And I think what you're going to see, I don't think it's even going to be by sector. I don't think it's going to be a geography. I think that's overly simplifying the answer. It's going to be more nuanced. Certain organizations culturally are going to say we are a work from office primary and others are going to say we are a work from home primary and others are going to say we're a choice, a hybrid environment by choice. And that's going to prove to just be a unique calling card for each organization. It's just like right now, there's some employees who offer defined benefit pension plans and they say this differentiates me from the other companies who only do 401k plans. And 
again, that's okay. And I can tell you right here at SHRM, we offer still a pension plan, and I use that as a differentiator. That's not to suggest that the rest of the country should do it. I use it uniquely um, as a SHRM cultural differentiator. And I think that's what you're going to see as this plays out. You know, one thing that I'm wondering, thinking about the pre-pandemic world, and I will say this as a health reporter, I am not necessarily proud of this, but the number of times that I went into the office sick when I probably shouldn't have, (laughs) there were lots of times I would go into the office when I really should have stayed at home to protect my coworkers from getting whatever it was I had. I know I'm not the only one listening to this who probably did that. So what are y'all learning about how that might change in this post-pandemic world, just how employers and employees think about taking their sick time, which I think a lot of people are potentially loath to do if they don't necessarily have to. So you've nailed the real bright spot coming out of the pandemic. We are now, you know, not forcing employees uh, to decide between their health and their pocketbook, right? And that's what we've done historically. A lot of employees knew they were sick, they'd get up sick that morning, but realized I can't afford to take that day off. And even for companies that offered some form of paid sick days, they limited them, right? You get three days a year to be sick. And so on that fourth year, you dragged yourself, fourth day rather, you dragged yourself into the office because you were making a choice that impacted your ability to, you know, keep your lights on and pay your mortgage, et cetera. What has come out of this is employers have finally, in earnest, started having a conversation amongst themselves as well as with policymakers about the need for us to have paid leave. 1993, we rolled out the Family and Medical Leave Act, which gave people 12 weeks per year, but it was unpaid. And so it wasn't real for a lot of people. They couldn't take advantage of it. The pandemic has forced us to have a national conversation and, in fact, a global conversation around How do we ensure that people aren't forced to make those decisions? That's number one. The other big conversation, and and it has come out of this, and I think it's really cool, is it's okay to stay home if you're sick, whether you're paid or not. Like we had built a culture where being sick, physically ill or mentally ill, and, and, and our mental wellness is critical now, that was seen as a sign of weakness, if you couldn't make it through and you know push through a cold and come to work, you were a wimp. You know, if you were having some real mental health challenges and therefore that kept you, you know, you couldn't come to work, you were a wimp or you were somehow frail and there was a stigma. So so all of that has been revisited during the pandemic. And I think some real positive outcomes. We are not asking people. In fact, we're telling people, if you don't feel well, even if it's a cold, forget if it's the pandemic, if you got a cold, don't come to work because we as employers lose productivity because then other people get sick. They may not die. It could just be the common cold. But now an entire department is out because you came to work and spread. Johnny, you know, we started this conversation by talking about the changes, large-scale systemic changes in the way we work that have really been brought about by the pandemic. What are you kind of watching to see kind of what sticks? And is this the kind of event that we've all lived through that is really going to fundamentally, do you think, change uh, the way we work? So I would have such a confident answer about this, like about 10 months ago. I would have predicted that, for example, coming out of the pandemic, people would no longer shake hands or hug. 
And guess what? Every freaking meeting that I've gone to, people are shaking hands again. They're hugging again. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> Did we not learn from that? So I'm not sure how to predict it. I thought people would be more conscious and aware of space and, and sort of personal space. And, and they're not doing it. I just left a meeting today. And people I had not met just walked up and they shook my hands. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this didn't work. We didn't learn from this, right? So I'm not sure... I think where am I going with this is I think people are going to go back to more normal. I mean, we've totally underestimated how human beings will resist change, right? Even when it's good. But a couple of things will stick with us. I think we have seen workplace flexibility become normalized, right? The idea that it's not just a perk or an accommodation to let someone work from home a day or two a week, that is now being more normalized. And I think that will change the world. That is not to be confused with remote work full scale. You know, I don't think at all that employers are going to, in any significant numbers, say work from wherever you want, whenever you want, however you want. So it's not open flexibility. It's some more flexibility than we had before. So as people can balance all of the competing interests for the, of their time. So that, I think, is around to stay. The other thing that really is going to stick with us is the need for us to really embrace technology in a way that we hadn't done before. Like, we knew we could have virtual meetings, but now we know we can have virtual meetings. We knew that employees, we could have sort of a hybrid workforce and people... And that is now going to stick around. Like, that, the genie is out of the bottle. And that's what's really encouraging... Finally, the laws. You know, we talk about the Fair Labor Standards Act, right? That hasn't been significantly overhauled since 1938, right, when they created it. And all of us have to admit the world has changed. The world of work has changed significantly in the last 80 plus years. And so now we're going to revisit things like who is entitled to unemployment benefits, paid leave, who, how are you going to get it? Is it going to be mandated? Who's going to pay for it? Uh, we're going to look at OSHA and revisit. This is now a hazard. I mean, arguably, employers have an obligation. And this is real. I want to end with this. It's fascinating. There's an argument that employers should mandate a vaccine under OSHA because you have an obligation to mitigate, if not eliminate, known hazards. COVID is a known hazard. So if allowing an employee to come into the workplace without a vaccine is a no, you're undertaking a known hazard that could put other people or their children at risk if they were to you know transport this there's a question that says maybe mandates are what the law the law actually mandates so it's not an employer decision you know that's an interesting argument under OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Hazard uh, uh, Agency. So those are the sorts of things. The laws are all going to be revisited. Johnny C. Taylor Jr. is CEO of the Society for Human Resource Management. Did You Wash Your Hands? is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app. That's also where you can leave us a rating and a review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. 
If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Kendall. And I'm David Perdue. And we're the hosts of What's Good Atlanta, the new weekly comedy podcast from WABE. On What's Good Atlanta, we run down uplifting and unusual headlines from the universe known as Atlanta. And while we may not be journalists, we are comedians, and we'll be breaking down news and breaking down the stories that make you smile. We're just trying to see what's good, Atlanta. Episodes drop Fridays at WABE.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I get mine from a guy named Craig. Shout out to Craig. Mm -hmm. (laughs) W-A-B-E.